latest episode of Mind of a Mentor. Joanna Lohman knows what it means to celebrate small victories while enduring larger battles. Joanna is a professional athlete and renowned public speaker. She's worked with iconic organizations like the Department of State, Procter & Gamble, and TEDx to spread her message of authenticity across the world. Throughout all this, she had to face her biggest challenge in life. Joanna suffered an ACL tear, and as a professional athlete, this kind of injury is devastating. The road to recovery is both difficult and long. Throughout her efforts to heal her body, she practiced gratefulness for the small achievements while seeing the beauty in the imperfect present. Joanna's injury is not the only difficult journey she's been on. Her story is also one of self-discovery through identity and sexuality. Joanna inspires others to love their true selves regardless of what others may think or say. We'll learn more about Joanna's story and what truly means to own your own narrative. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Marla. I'm so proud to be on Mind of a Mentor and Like a Boss Girls and hearing that bio. God, I have a lot to live up to, don't I? <laughs> well, you're pretty awesome, um, and that's why we're very excited to have this conversation with you. What I'd like to do is start from the beginning, because really what we're doing today is you're, you're going to tell your story. So let's start from the very beginning. Joanna as a child. Joanna, where did you grow up? And if you could talk a little bit about your life growing up. Yeah, I would love to. I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, not far from where I live now. I uh-huh. have an older brother and an older sister. I was the youngest of three. And, um, you know, my mom and my dad have basically been my heroes since since day one. I started playing soccer at the age of six, and I grew up in a community where I felt like I was raised almost almost by a village. And that made such a difference in terms of my youth. I spent basically every day of each summer at the community pool. I felt like I always belonged to something bigger and something greater. And I was a very important piece of how that community ran. And my first soccer coach was actually my best friend's mother. And I was a part of a team made up of my best friends, which were mostly boys at that age. And honestly, my it seems like my entire journey through youth soccer was very wholesome. Um, at the age of 13, I joined a team called Bethesda Soccer. And again, that consisted of a lot of uh, young women in my community and was coached by one of the players' fathers. So it just felt like it was it was a family. And Luckily for me, as I grew up, you know, through playing the sport, I, I learned so many essential lessons that I've taken with me throughout my life. And I think it's it's so important to realize that life is, of course, about finding your own personal happiness and really your purpose, but it, it revolves around being a part of something bigger. And when you play a team sport, especially with people that you're so close with, I think that's emphasized each and every day. And... Also, too, I felt lucky in a sense that I grew up and I, I truly believe it was a meritocracy. I believe if I worked harder at something that I would get incrementally higher. So 
that was consistently reinforced at home, um, through school, and also through sport. So I, I somehow built this, you know, this idea that I never, I never wanted to give anything less than my best. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Steve Prefontaine, the famous runner, and he said, to give anything less than your best is a sacrifice to gift. I still think that every day and every morning when I wake up, that no matter what I do, I want to give all of myself in that moment. And whether that was soccer or school, I just, I really, I tried really hard. And, you know, even now when I walk off the field and someone compliments me in, in the game or whatnot, they, you know, how do you do what you do? And I said, you know what, I just try really hard. And I found that that's really a lot of life is just really putting yourself out there and being willing to try. So I learned that from a very young age. And I think it's been one of the best things that I've carried with me through my life. And as I grew up playing youth soccer, uh, I made the state team and then the regional team. And then I eventually made the national team and uh, started with the youth national teams and then eventually the full women's national team. And I also attended Penn State University where I was uh, a four-time academic All-American and a three-time All-American athletically. And, you know, I just, I really... I really wanted to become a professional soccer player. And, you know, I had that drive. I had that determination. And I worked really hard to see if I could get there. And uh, now here I am with the Washington Spirit. So it's been an incredible journey for me. That's amazing. You know, you, you mentioned that you started playing soccer when you're six. And I'm thinking of my son when he played soccer when he was six and it was like all these little kids clumping in one end of the field. And I can't even wrap my head around that journey to playing soccer professionally. So I think that's unbelievable, but um, let's talk about, um, you talked a little bit about what you learned in terms of um, playing this sport as you grew up. My, my sense is obviously that playing sports, I mean, I I think helps people um, create discipline in their life. You know, it helps them learn about, obviously, being on a team. But can you talk a little bit more about sort of as you were growing up, as you were younger and, and coming into your own, playing on all these different teams, what were the life lessons that you were starting to learn at an earlier age? Yeah, I mean, this is so important to to speak on. It's, I think, at a young age, you have as playing sports every day there's usually a winner and a loser and i think now for kids even more so it's so important to learn how to lose it's important that you fall down and you pick yourself back up again and your and your parent who we all love isn't there to you know to grab your hand and pull you back up you're you're forced to figure out how to get up and you know as a as a kid i played a lot with boys and they were you know, bigger and faster and stronger than I was more times than not. I had an older brother. I was always playing with his friends. And they never took it easy on me. Uh, I would come home. I had a bloody lip, um, a black eye. And I just, I loved it. I loved, you know, I felt like when I was put on a field, I was set free. I think when you play a sport, you lose a lot of the inhibitions that we have in everyday life. Um, you know, you, you run and you chase a ball. and and you let go of 
you know, self-consciousness and um, doubt. And you really, you just, you're yourself on the field. And you're playing with with people that even if you have a lot of differences with, such as cultural, racial, gender, um, you know, socioeconomic, you're all in the field for the same reason. So it really levels the playing field, so to speak. And you work as a team to a common goal. And I, again, I think that's so important in life. You know, we're not isolated human beings. We're all part of a part of something. You're a part of a family. You're a part of a community. You're a part of a church or, you know, whatever is your passion. Um, and it feels, it feels so good to know that you belong and that you're a part of that. And, you know, in addition to all of those things, um, you know, falling down and uh, picking yourself up, back up and learning how to fail. And, uh, you know, you're, you're really vulnerable when you play sports. I was thinking about this the other day when I was working out. You know, oftentimes when you play a sport, you push yourself physically to your maximum and you often don't get that goal and you don't get what you want. And that's a hard thing to swallow for a lot of people. But when you're that vulnerable, when you put yourself out there to fail and, you know, to look probably a little bit silly, it builds that resiliency and that strength that, you know, at this age, at 35, when I fall down, I'm okay. You know, I'm going to get back up again. If something bad happens in my life, I'm going to be okay because I've been through that so many different times. And, you know, those are essential life lessons that I think kids really need to learn is, is that ability to problem solve and to figure out and to fail and to come back the next day and still want it just as bad. So, Joanna, is that something that you learned from your experience as a young player or is this something also discussed by your coaches? I'm just kind of curious because it's always been a perception, at least of mine, that the coaches are all about win, win, win. You know, you got to win, go kill them. But that yeah. doesn't sound like necessarily your experience. So if you can talk a little bit about, you know, advice your coaches had and then how you synthesize that information to make it your own, that would be really helpful. Absolutely. I think, you know, as a parent and as a leader, <clears throat> as a coach, you obviously want your kids to succeed, but success comes from doing things the right way. And clearly you won't always succeed doing things the right way. There's been games where I've, our team has played amazing. We've played the best we've ever played, but we've still lost. And that's life, right? That's a lesson that you have to learn too, that everything may go as planned, but you still may not get that end result. And I think for my family at home, um, especially my parents, they always, they always emphasize the idea of the most important thing is being a good human being. Um, it's being compassionate and treating others with respect. And regardless of how well you play on the field, um, that's only a part of who you are uh, as a whole. And the person you are as a whole is, is so much greater than your individual parts. So, you know, my parents, they, they supported me so much. They came to every one of my games and my practices, but sport was never the end-all, be-all. Um, I had to get my schoolwork done. And same thing with my coaches and uh, the leaders in my life. It was you know, sport is a part of who you're going to be, and winning and losing is a very small part of that. And even if if you lose, for instance, you're not a loser. It doesn't define you as a person. And I think that's really important for coaches and leaders to understand is that these instances and these circumstances and these games are just a small part of of who their players or their students are. And that the beauty comes from being well-rounded and balanced and, you know, really understanding that what happens on the field is 
a very small piece of of you know the of the universe, right? And right. Uh, when you walk off that field and you shake hands with your opponent and you say good game, even if even if you won or lost, you know that's the that's the most important thing. And if you really strive and you and you do the right things to 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 be a good athlete and to be a good person, no matter where you end up, um, you know that's that's the true I think definition of success. I think this is amazing, Joanna, especially when the message nowadays seems to be, you know, you have to win at all cost. But the fact right. that you really develop this sense of self-awareness and compassion it is, is actually an amazing, amazing thing. So um, I really Thank applaud you. you. Did you place um, your school team or was it mostly travel soccer? So when I was younger, I played on my high school team for three out of the four years, and that was more uh-huh. for social reasons. It was it was fun. I wanted to be around my friends, but even more so now, the I would say to really you know for the colleges aspect of it and to get identified, it's mostly with your club team. So that that was right. where most of the emphasis was. So, um, how did you? make your decision where you wanted to school to go to um, college ultimately. What was that? I, I would assume that had a lot to do with your aspirations to, to play professionally, but if you could just talk a little bit about that whole process of going from high school, playing on club teams, and then making the decision as to where you're going to spend your college years. Yeah, this is a really, it's a really pivotal piece for a lot of uh, youth players growing up now is college seems to be a huge pressure for them and where they should go to school and if they're going to get identified in Division One, Division Two, And, you know, luckily for me, um, I was good enough where I knew I was going to go Division One, and I was also a good student. So I really tried to find uh, the schools that I know I would, it would be a challenge for me academically or uh, I at least had that um, you know, they're all good schools academically. I wanted to, that was my number one priority. And then I really wanted to find a school that I would make an immediate impact. I think that for a lot of kids, they want to go to the, the cream of the crop, to the elite, which I understand is a desire for so many people, the name of the school. and But I think, you know, contributing is, is such a major part of who we are. I I didn't want to sit on the bench for even my my freshman year, let alone sophomore, junior, and senior. So. I wanted to find a school where I was going to fit in both as a student, but also as an athlete, and that fit me socially. So um, I didn't really want to go down to the south. Uh, I just felt like I was more of kind of a northeast kind of girl. So I looked at this. I looked at schools: UVA, Duke, um, Michigan, and Penn State. And I ended up choosing Penn State because I felt like I could make um, a huge impact as a freshman, and I really enjoyed the school. I enjoyed my teammates, and I also enjoyed the coach who I would have been playing under. And, you know, I still do a lot of – I do a lot of personal training, and I work personally with clients. I also do mentorship. And I always tell the players that I work with that, you know, there's 365 Division One schools. And college is really what you make of it. You will find a school that, that fits you, and it doesn't have to be the number one soccer school in the country. You know, find a find a school that's really going to fit you as as an athlete, as as a student, and also as a person. Because really, the last thing you want to do is is get there and sit on the bench, or really not like your classes, or not like the social scene, and ending up having to transfer. It's not the end of the world, but 
it's just not necessarily ideal. So really take the time um, because unfortunately recruiting has gotten younger and younger. So these kids are getting recruited at 14, 15 years old and, you know, they don't really know what school they want to go to and they're not even fully developed as athletes. So you really have that, there's that danger there. But I think, I think the kids really need to take the time to identify what schools fit them. So I want to talk, I want to get into the mentoring piece in a moment. Um, but before we do that, I, I wanted to explore a little bit more your experience at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, playing college is a much different set of expectations than playing high school club sports. What was it like transitioning to college soccer? It's yeah, it's absolutely very intense. College, you have a very short season, and you have a lot of games in that short season. So specifically as a fall sport, you know, you go in August, and your season's done usually late November, early December. So it's, it's a short period of time. And then you're starting classes, too. So it's a lot to adapt to. I think that in high school, I created um, a lot of great habits for myself. Every day when I got home from school, I would do my homework right away, and then I would go to soccer practice. And that is what I did every single day. And I think habit formation is such a huge part of success. And that comes from getting enough sleep of what you eat, of how you do your schoolwork, understanding how you learn. And, you know, for me, it's that was taking um, really in-depth notes and then reading those notes over and over again when I studied for tests in college. And I just, I knew the best the best avenue for me to learn. And I knew that being on my own in a quiet room, I couldn't listen to music, was the only way that I was really going to absorb all the material. So I think, again, that self-awareness of, of who we are, what's the best way to learn. And if your friends are sitting in a group, it's okay if I don't go to that group if that's not the best thing for me. So, you know, I was really, I was really um, independent in that sense of I was going to do what was best for me to get the best grades and to be the best athlete. So those aren't necessarily always the most popular decisions or the cool ones. But I was okay with that because I was really driven in terms of of who I wanted to be. I wanted to be a straight-A student, and I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And there's choices that you have to make through your journey that will um, either help you get there or hurt you from getting there. So honestly, like college, uh, it sounds silly, but it wasn't that hard for me because I think I had those habits built since even middle school. So that's a really important point that I I agree with you in terms of, you know, having enough self-awareness to figure out what works for you and what, how, what do you need to do so you can achieve your goals and your success, which I think is critically important. What I find amazing is that you were able to figure this out fairly early in life because it usually takes a lot more time to be able (laughs) to have that kind of self-awareness, you know? (laughs) So I yeah. think that's pretty awesome. So my question to you is, what role did your um, college soccer coach play as you were on this road in terms of developing, first of all, as a college student, second of all, as a premier college soccer player? How did that work with your coach? Was it very different than your experiences in high school? Well, that's a great question. It was uh, funny because my the coach that I – came to college for left after my freshman year and he left to go coach in the professional levels so at first that was scary for me because you know you get you get a comfort level with with your head coach and sometimes change is difficult luckily enough our assistant coach was boosted up to our head coach so it wasn't 
um, a great degree of change, but of course it's still a different personality. And uh, I went from having a male coach to a female coach. So that also comes with um, its its variations. Um, I think luckily for me, I didn't necessarily need much direction in terms of, okay, Joe, get your schoolwork done. This is what you have to do. This is where you have to go. I kind of knew, I knew myself at that point. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the development that I had in college was more as a, as a person and a human being of being away from your parents and what that feels like and being also thrown into a party scene. Uh, you know, you are, you have access to a lot of things you never probably had access to in high school. How, how do you juggle those things? How do you say no? How do you make sure you have the discipline to go home on the weekends and because you're not necessarily a normal student. You are a student athlete, and that comes with its own challenges. But for me, I really thrived in that because I thrive in, I think I thrive in environments that have a bit of structure to them. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm ruthlessly independent, but I like to be independent within a structured environment. So I like to have autonomy of how I make my decisions, but I love knowing that I'm going to soccer practice from 9 to 11 in the morning, and then I'm going to the weight room, and then I have, I'm going to study hall for these few hours. I think you know, having having my coaches set up that structure for me in the day, it it really takes choice out of it. It really takes a lot of that brain power of, okay, what am I going to do today? <clears throat> and it says, okay, this is where you're going to be. This is why you're going to be there. And uh, it, I, it allowed me to really thrive, I think, and blossom as a human being. So it's interesting because the transition from high school to college is really one of the biggest challenges for a lot of young people. It's just a, a, a huge change. As you said, you're away from your home, you're away from your family, you have to make your own rules, um, you know, you're, you have to make your own way. So I, I actually love your point that having the benefits of um, the structure mm-hmm. that goes with being a college athlete must have made the transition diff- a, a lot easier and, and I think that's what you said which is um which is pretty extraordinary because again it's I know it's a very very challenging time of life yeah I think especially going to such a big school like Penn State um, hundreds of thousands of students you can often feel lost you can feel like you're surrounded right. by thousands but you're all alone because you don't really know what direction to go but an athlete you immediately have a team and a family that you're a part of and you have that structure especially if you're a fall season sport. So I felt like that was a huge asset for me. And if I ever struggled, you know, college has, you know, I want a lot of students to know this, you know, college has so many avenues to get help. So if you're struggling, all you have to do is reach out to a coach, to a guidance counselor, to a teacher, and they're they're really there to help you. And that too, like I got close to some of my teachers because I wanted to learn. I, I had to miss classes a lot. What are you doing? You miss class. You've got to figure out a way to make up that work. And so I think you build relationships with people that are very important throughout your four years and you, and you learn, you have to learn, you're thrown in the deep end right away of like, how am I going to swim? I don't want to think, you know, what do I have to do to swim? That is a really important point and something I've certainly reinforced with some of our younger members, which is it's college is a community and there are people who are there solely to help their students. So I think that's a great point to reinforce. So as you're going through your college experience as a student athlete, probably kicking butt on your academics, <laughs> um, 
what were you learning about yourself as a as a person? How were how how any insights that you want to share with people as you were going through your your journey? Yeah, I mean, I had I had such a transition through college as as a person. Uh, you know, I went into college. I thought I was straight. I was dating men. I had boyfriends. I was even engaged to a man my senior year of college. And and then I had an experience with a woman. And at the end of really my, I think it was my fifth year almost in college because I had to take some time off to play with the national team, I ended up discovering that I was gay. So it was, I almost did a whole 180 in college. And I think college gives you that opportunity to explore who you are because, again, you're away from what you have always known. You're introduced to concepts that you may not have been um, in your hometown. And you have the opportunity to really be the driver of your own life. And for me, that was a bit tumultuous, right? I think for all of us, the the journey of self-discovery is never smooth. I think it has its ups and downs. And that going from engaged to a man to then being gay was not only hard for me, but hard for everyone around me because it was a, it was a humongous change. And uh, that isn't necessarily always smooth. So, you know, for me personally in college, it was essentially discovering who I was. And when I look back on college, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I have fond memories, but it's, it's almost like I was a different person of who I am now. I, I am so much more myself now just from that journey that looking back on that person, it's, I almost don't recognize them. And, you know, that's not a negative thing. That just shows the growth that I've had as a person. And, you know, you have to be extremely vulnerable to be able to, to really self-discover like that and to look in the mirror and ask yourself, like, who, who are you? And God, I'm, I'm so much better off because of it. And I'm, you know, I'm really happy now with who I am. And I, I would never take away anything that I went through to get to where I am now. So let's talk about that process because, you know, even in a perfect situation, it's not always easy. Right. So any, any guidance or tips that you have for our listeners in terms of um, going through, how, how to best go through a transition like this in terms of figuring out who you are, in terms of perhaps figuring out your sexuality. But there are definitely some action steps that you took to get from point A to Z. So if you could talk a little bit more about that, that would be helpful. Yeah, you know, I would love to. And I think that this day and age is even harder because I think there's a whole other layer with social media that I didn't, I wasn't presented with when I was in college. you know, I didn't have a cell phone until I was probably a junior in college. So, you know, the whole idea of Instagram, Snapchat, all that kind of stuff wasn't really uh, at the forefront. So right. I think the first thing is to not numb feelings. I think that because of social media, you know, we often share the best 1% of our lives. And we are losing the importance of our imperfections, our faults, and our flaws. And it's as if we want to numb every feeling so we're just feeling good. And I think it's so important to feel. And if that's sad, to feel sad. If that's angry, to feel angry. If it's happy, to feel happy. 
And unless unless you understand how you're feeling, you're never going to make the connection to your brain and to your body and to who you want to be. So I really think that step one is is existing and allowing yourself to live. Um, you know, really for me, I, I think I'm my happiest when I'm when I get so into a moment that I'm lost in it, right? And I'm so engaged in that moment. And I think we often, we as a society, we have, I think, this bad habit of not allowing people to feel sad or to feel unhappy or to feel in pain. But that's such an important part of discovering who we are and what we like and what we don't like. So, uh, you know, I've confronted that a lot in, in sports or even in everyday life where if there's a day where I'm sad, people say, oh, don't be sad. And, I'm, and you know, I think to myself, I want to be sad and I want to allow myself to be sad. Uh, so I think it's really um, being brutally honest with yourself uh, each and every single day about how you feel and consistently checking in. You know, is this is this what makes me happy? And, you know, luckily for me, I have a life where every day I basically have to wake up and I decide what am I doing today? And that makes me hyper aware of what I want to do and what I don't want to do. I think that's incredible advice. So I appreciate that. So as you're going through this whole self-discovery process about, you know, key important life issues, at what point did you realize, you know what, I have what it takes to be a professional athlete? Can you just talk about how that that transpired? Yeah. I don't know if there's necessarily like ever one moment. I think that for me, I have just always loved the process of getting better. And really that that in itself was a gift, right? Getting every single day cuz sports forces you every day to show up and you have to you have to bring your game. And you can't necessarily hide. So every day that I got to play the sport that I loved and, and to get a little bit better was a day that I, I was grateful for. And I do remember in um, just after the 1999 Women's World Cup, <clears throat> when the Women's World Cup team um, beat China in the final in the Rose Bowl and Brittany Chastain ripped off her shirt after hitting the winning PK and really they became an overnight success. And they, the Women's 99 team came to the White House. And they invited local youth players to come and to greet the 99 Women's World Cup team at the White House. And luckily, I was one of those players uh, with my Bethesda soccer team that came to the White House. And I just remember the reception that they got and just the power and that these women had and what they've accomplished. And meeting them that day, I, I thought to myself, I know this is what I want to do. I want to become a professional soccer player. I I want to be on the women's national team. So once that kind of got into my brain, I just, I worked and I worked and, you know, I kept incrementally getting better and making higher level teams. And, you know, I think eventually I got to the women's national team, but I was never, you know, I was on the women's national team, I was never one of the stars. I had to grind every single day, even really to be recognized. And I was one of, the last players cup cut before I think it was the 2007 or 2008 world cup. So I never really got there and I never played in a world cup. I never played in the Olympics, but you know, now I'm a women's professional soccer player and I, I really do feel like I have, I have accomplished my dreams. And it was only about two years ago where the women's national team was again playing in the world cup and 
they invited the Washington Spirit, my club team at that point, to watch the game at the White House, the United States game at the White House, and they also invited some youth players. So it was an incredible sort of culmination to my to my journey that at that point I was standing up in front of the room speaking to players that, that were me, youth players, wanting to become a professional soccer player, and I stood in front of them and I said, you know, I'm you know, living and breathing an example of someone that's achieved their dreams. I was sitting in your place in 1999 wanting to be a professional soccer player, and here I am now today speaking to you guys on it. So right. it, was, you know, it was super powerful for me, and I think there wasn't necessarily like, you know, there was a handful of moments where I, I knew I was on the right track, and I just I kept putting one foot in front of the other, and I just kept going. So you went from college to the the U.S. women's national team? Was that the transition you made? Yeah, that's. I went from Penn State to the women's national team, but also, too, we're in, this, we're in the third resurrection of a women's professional soccer league, so I also right. made it through right. two failed leagues. So I had, I had consistently had to figure out plan B and try to keep my dreams alive by going overseas or um, figuring out a different way to keep playing. What just struck me, and I was in listening to you, is the position that you play, which is midfield which is always the position my son loved to play. But tell me about what interests you about being a midfielder versus playing some of the other positions because a mid really does help move the game along. I mean, you're driving the game. So I'm just, if you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think the position I play is a, a true reflection of who I am as a as a human. And I I think as a midfielder, you're a link. You're a link between the defenders and the forwards, and you're always involved, and you're running a lot. So that's something that I, I love to run. And I think as I've gotten older, and I've had some of the best years of my career as I've gotten older, is I've truly understood my role on the team. And my role is, has never been the star. My role you know, for the Washington Spirit was – to be the cog, you know, to be the engine in the midfield, to run and chase down balls and defend, win the ball back and give it to a player that's better than me to score the goals. And right. I think as a younger player, that's really hard to swallow because you want to do it all. And you want to be the one that gets all the attention. But now I've really let go of that. And, you know, I think the true beauty is just is contributing to to this team and to understanding that, you know, my strength is, is to win the ball as a defender, really, as a, a midfielder, and to to give the ball to someone who's better than me. And right. you know, I don't, I don't, it doesn't offend me. And I think I really understand now the weaknesses that I possess as a player and the strengths that I possess as a player. And I truly try to focus on my strengths. You are in this professional soccer realm, but you also talked about some of the mentoring work that you do. Can you just Talk about that part of your life, how that came about, and what your focus is, and how you how the two work together. Yeah, I think I've gained you know so much knowledge from the experiences that I've been through. You know, as as an athlete, as a female athlete, as a gay female athlete, and you know, as a gay female athlete that has played a sport that has failed multiple times on the professional level. So you know, problem solving resiliency in terms of figuring out a plan B and playing overseas and traveling a lot overseas. So getting that perspective of not only being a female athlete in America, but being a female athlete on, on, you know, in the entire world. So 
I, you know, I really love to share my experiences with the players that I coach and also the um, young women that I mentor because these are not stories of uh, really, you know, blinding success. These are stories of often of failure, of, of falling over and picking myself back up again. They're stories of having to um, adapt and change and mold and push yourself out of your comfort zone and getting comfortable with that. So I think parents really find that to be extremely beneficial for their kids who, you know, going through school now is, is quite the struggle. I think, you know, there's a lot of awkward moments and uncomfortable moments for kids where they're trying to fit in and they don't often do. Um, there's a lot of bullying now, I think, in terms of um, gender expression and if you're the popular kid. So I try to use soccer um, as a you know as a vehicle to teach life lessons and as a way of showing of you know discipline, um, deliberateness, purposefulness of of really understanding who you are and you know, setting goals and getting there. And then I also too uh, I mentor a young woman who doesn't play soccer at all. And you know for for those experiences, I really I try to show her. Um, you know, the lighter side of life, even as a 35, 35-year-old um, of, of youthfulness and vulnerability and putting myself out there and allowing her to see that and sharing, you know, various ways now that I still allow myself to be vulnerable and allow myself to be put into positions of failure. How do you adapt to that? Um, how do you build that resiliency? So I think for me personally, um, it's really just trying to build strong, confident, young women who really want to make a difference and who believe in themselves. In terms of where you are right now with your career, which is unbelievable, um, how do you evolve? How do you continue to evolve and change as you, quite frankly, get a little older? What, what, what's yeah. the process of, of figuring that out? Yeah, that's such a great question, Marla, because I'm, I'm going into almost, if you can believe it or not, it's uncharted territory. I'm coming off a season-ending knee injury, and I am going into a, a season where I don't know how my body is going to hold up, and I have been so terrified of having to retire. I love the game so much. It, it's so deep into my core that when I hurt my knee, you know, I've always really, I've been terrified of one, having to retire, and I've been terrified of, of having a significant injury, and Looking back on tearing my ACL and this recovery process, I often tell people it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think that for several reasons. I think when something that you're so scared of happens and you thrive and you get through it, you build this incredible sense of strength. It's so empowering to know that you can get through that. And two, it gave me a chance to see life without soccer, without having to totally lose it yet. And, you know, as I was kind of re, you know, redefining myself as not being a professional soccer player anymore. Who was I? That was a situation where I really had to um, redefine myself, and I was able to do it. And I saw soccer. I saw, you know, life when I didn't have soccer, and it wasn't that bad. So I think you know, this season is really – I don't know how it's going to go. And that's that's terrifying, and it's exhilarating because February 19th, the first day of preseason, you know, I could – I could do great or my knee could say, you know what? I don't know if I can do this anymore. And knowing myself, I think, I think I'll be fine, but that's a lot to conquer. And 
you know, every every day now I'm I'm working my way back and I'm trying to get back, but I have to be really compassionate with myself and understand that if I can't, it's going to be okay. And I'm not just a soccer player. I'm so much more than that. There's so many more dimensions to who I am as a person that if I lose that one dimension, it is going to be heartbreaking. I will I will be shattered and I will be so upset, but I know after this past after this past like injury and this recovery process that I'm going to be okay. And I'll figure it out because I always do. And you know that's a really cool idea is to know that no matter what happens, I'm going to figure it out and I hope, you know, kids listening to me today understand that that you know there's so many dimensions to who we are and if you lose one you know you don't lose yourself and you can really find other things that you're passionate about so hopefully people will stay tuned in my journey and we can all figure this out together so it's interesting that you're talking about this because at some point in time I think most of us have to pivot you know within their career things happen your focus changes so as you start to frame what life may look like at some point, and I certainly hope you're healthy and all good things for you this year, but at some point you will be pivoting. How, who are you going to talk to about how to figure this out? Um, because I'm sure that and what I'm trying to get to is just to get to some, maybe some advice or tips in terms of helping young women who maybe have hit a bump in the road or may have to make a career pivot based on a change in interest, change in focus, change in location. What's the best way to to, to put that together um, in terms of creating a game plan for the pivot? I'm going to have to call you every day, Marla. That's the first thing I'm going to do. So get ready for that. (laughs) Um, Anytime. I think you find someone that has the career and job that you've always wanted and you emulate them and you ask them, you ask them to mentor you. And if they say no, okay, that happens. And, um, but if they say yes, think about all the knowledge and the experience you can gain, you can shadow them. Hopefully they can, you know, give you action steps to take to, you know, to gain some experience and in, into becoming who they are. So there's definitely a few people in my life that, outside of soccer, have a career that I think I would truly enjoy and I would thrive in. So I have a good friend. You may have heard of him. His name's Simon Sinek. Uh, he's an author oh, yeah. and also, yeah. So he's he's oh a good gosh. friend of mine. And I, I am such a fan of him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we'll, have to meet, we'll have to see him together. So you know, oh, he's yeah. someone that is a huge wealth of knowledge for me. His entire mm-hmm. company I've spoken to about, um, being an igniter for his company is called Start With Why. So, you know, finding your why, um, helping people find theirs. And I want I want to inspire. I want to speak. I want to really spread happiness and joy. So I just I need to figure out the best way to do that. And I think, like I just said, is, you know, find someone who's doing it and just and copy them. <laughs> um, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? So really, you know, choosing mentors, finding guides, and not being afraid of asking for help. Well, I think that's an important point that you, that you've mentioned a couple of times during our conversation because you've gone through some challenging times. You know, we mentioned the ACL tear that you're recovering from and um, some of the knowledge you learned about yourself in terms of who you are, your sexuality. It sounds like 
I'm going to make a leap here, that mentors really helped you work these things out. Is that correct? Yeah, I've had two or three people in my life that have really um, have really extended their hand to help me. And that, you know, for instance, um, I worked in commercial real estate for a few years. And, you know, that enabled me to build even more skills in terms of business and also to um, build a wealth portfolio that's helped me to be a professional soccer player because, as we know, we don't really make millions. So, um, and that was because um, an older gentleman who I worked with really believed in me. And then um, just more so recently, I had someone who really helped me with PR and helped me to take the ideas, all the ideas I have and figuring out, you know, which ones are the best ones. And again, someone who did it pro bono, who just really believed in me. So find, identify two or three people who really believe in you and you trust them and you truly respect and admire them and, and ask, you know, like, how can I get better? What can I do? And, you know, everyone really wants to leave a legacy and a legacy is left through what you teach others. So I think, you know, people that will really want to help you if you do it the right way. We're almost out of time, but um, again, we've talked about a couple of very important things. One is the importance of a mentor. The second thing that we talked about, which really made an impression on me, is really understanding your learning style and the way you approach challenges uh, to help put some structure around ongoing life problem solving, which I, I think is unbelievable. Any other like key big tips that you want to share with our listeners that you feel are really critical? Yeah, I think, you know, what I really learned through my injury recently is you really have to let go of of a lot of things. And I think it's important now. Uh, there's something that I learned called the Stockdale Paradox when I was injured. And um, there was an admiral in the Vietnam War, um, Stockdale, and he was a prisoner of war for seven years, and he figured out how to survive for seven years. And the paradox says, essentially, is that we can never lose hope. Like, we always have to realize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but we have to brutally accept our circumstances. So when I got injured... You know, I had to believe that, you know, one day I was going to get better, but it's okay for me to realize that those circumstances in that immediate moment, it sucks, right? It hurts. Right. It is painful. And I think if we try to sugarcoat things, it it never works out. So I think, again, when it comes in terms of self-awareness is being able to let go of, of who we, of essentially who we want to be and who we should be and and really accept who we are in that moment. And that will allow us to get better. Because if we accept ourselves for who we are, for our imperfections, our faults, our flaws, and realize that no one is perfect, and to truly love ourselves for that person in that exact moment, it's incredible how much weight you let go of when you just come to that conclusion. And that really helped me to get through a lot of tough times was to realize, okay, this is just the circumstance. This problem is not bigger than who I am. I will conquer this, but it's okay to admit that I'm hurting. It's okay to admit that I need help. And it's okay to admit I'm in pain because it's not forever. It's not eternal. And 
the quicker we can admit that and feel that, I think the easier it will be to, for us to get beyond it. So I think for a lot of these young kids growing up is to realize, like, you're not alone. And we all go through moments of self-doubt and we all go through moments of pain and suffering. But you have to believe at all times that, you know, you can you can get through it. And I don't know, I just think that's such an important concept now these days because there's a lot of hard stuff when you grow up. But you have to believe and you know, I'm I can tell through personal experience that it does get better. And if you work at it and if you reach out for help and you find the right people, there are people there that will help to guide you and help to, to get you to a better place. So I hope people understand that. Thank you. I think that's so important. You know, as you were talking, I thought about the children's book, um, The Little Engine That Could. Yeah. And a lot of what you talked about really um, reminds me of that book. I think I can. I know I can. So um, hats off to you for all that you've accomplished and all that you've brought to the world. And um, I am excited for your season and um, excited to hear sort of the next story and the next, all the next chapters in your life. So again, I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us, uh, taking the time to tell your story. And I want to thank everyone for, for joining us today. And again, this, I'm Marla Isaacson, and this has been Mind of a Mentor. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Marla.